2: It was when you came on your official visit they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame and you got the
1: and there's a Now that's a follow up <laughs> question Eric Hansen That's a heck of a follow up question right there
2: If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them man it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are that, that'll always be the
0: same Well I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh,
2: Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into
1: you in South Bend because you're probably costing me around a drink.
2: From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indy Insider in the South Bend Tribune. Vanderbilt wised up and ditched its supposed plan to hire an offensive-minded head coach and hired its former player in Clark Lee on Monday. Ryan Kelly was confident Sunday that Lee's situation wouldn't be a distraction for the team going into Saturday's ACC championship. Uh, We'll certainly talk about both topics on today's podcast because we are easy to distract as media members. uh, To discuss the latest developments at Notre Dame and throughout college football, we invited on Yahoo Sports columnist Dan Wetzel. Dan is a national columnist and host of the Yahoo Sports College podcast alongside Pete Thamel and Pat Forty. If you're unfamiliar with his work, we highly suggest reading and listening to him. Dan, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing? You doing a all busy? right? A little yeah, busy yeah. out there? Anything going on in South Bend?
2: <laughs> <laughs> always busy. Always uh, busy. And always cold. <laughs> Dan, I wanted to start broad with you in sort of the landscape of college football this year, in sort of the strangest of years we've encountered. What what do you think we've learned about college football this year? Who, um, well,
1: I don't know what we learned, but I, I will say I'm pretty excited that we've made it this far because I, you know, I, I always thought they'd start. I just didn't know exactly how we would finish. And, I mean, you look at a Notre Dame having an 11-game season, uh, it, you know, and presumably more, but potentially 12 or 13. I think you could have gotten pretty much anybody to take that that deal, uh, you know, along about July 15th or something like that. You're going to get a – even without the success of the season, and it's obviously been, I'm sure, extremely exciting season for Notre Dame fans, as a fan of college, you just want to watch games. I mean, even if they were – eight and three, you still got all those games, right? You want those Saturdays. You want that, that weekly, uh, I don't know, schedule where you chat up games. So um, the SEC, I think it's going to, we'll see, but they have a shot at getting 69 of their 71 scheduled games in. Um, So, you know, obviously hasn't worked as well in other leagues. The big 10 did not do a particularly good job on this. Um, You needed to really spread things out and buy, time but for the most part i think it's it's a testament to just how uh if there's a will there's a way and and college sports found the will and and really put together a a pretty good college football season all things considered and i understand you know there's no no michigan ohio state there a lot of things didn't happen but um i would have loved that notre dame wisconsin game at lambeau but uh not bad all things considered Yeah. I can remember how excited we were to watch central Arkansas back at the beginning of the season. (laughs) We were picking those things on our game, on our podcast, central Arkansas. got, we usually pick five games of the week and then we central Arkansas was in three of them early in the year. We're like breaking down, like, you know, their quarterbacks actually not that bad. And I think Abilene Christian got in there one week. I don't even know how I don't, I'm not even sure that's division one. I don't know what that is. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, we we'll, you'll you'll take uh, Clemson Notre Dame twice in one season. Uh, it's I'll take it. Not bad. We certainly had no idea we were going to get that.
0: You know, Dan, when we look back on this season, and I, I, maybe as Notre Dame beat writers, we'll look at it differently. Do you think people will regard the national champion of this year as a true national champion? Are we going to be talking about asterisks forever, or or do these teams? deserve something for getting to this point and putting themselves in position to win a national championship.
1: No, I think it's harder to win it this year. I mean, because of what you had to go through and you've seen teams not be able to do it. So when you, you know, I I don't know what the numbers are right now, but you've seen, I know lately you have, you know, zero cases at Notre Dame. I mean, you think about the sacrifice that uh, those players are, are the discipline and all of that, that they're going through. College football, I mean, looks like a lot of fun to be a football player, right? But the fun part is, I mean, you get to play the game, but it's running out on the field uh, to a full stadium. It's traveling to other full stadiums. It's walking through campus and have everyone know your name. It's the, it's the social aspect. I mean, all those things. The me- even the media and things like that, they don't get that part now. That I know college athletes get excited to sit, be be surrounded by media and talk and stuff. Now that's a Zoom call. So you lose all of that, and, and I think you see this in some of the teams that haven't done as well. It's hard to keep that motivation up. It's like, what am I doing here? I'm quarantined, basically. There's no other kids on campus anymore. We're two and four. I'm going to go play in an empty stadium. It's freezing this week. I mean, some of these Big Ten games, I mean, God bless these Nebraska Rutgers kids that are playing on Friday, right? I mean, like, <laughs> man, if you're, you got some heart if you want to go play that football game because that isn't. Hey, let's travel to Jersey right now in the cold and play a game. Good. If you were, you're fired up for that game, you are a true player. So, I don't think it deserves an asterisk. I also think if you look at, you know, the way this could have gone, and, and the committee probably was never going to allow this, but like there's certainly a loophole or a a way to kind of make a case of like, um, I mean, I can make a case that mathematically, like Coastal Carolina should be in the playoff. Like they're twelve and zero. And they have a win over BYU in the non-conference, which nobody else has win that good. And the team they're playing Saturday, Louisiana, has a win over Iowa State by 17. And they, the league owns more wins over the Big 12. And you bought like 12 games to Ohio State six. And like I can make the argument. I'm not saying that I want that. I'm not saying they are. But if if you were having teams like that kind of get in on a pandemic loophole, and you're like, hey, Coastal Carolina's in the Final Four. Yeah, maybe there's an asterisk um nothing against those guys but they put they figured out how to do it right that's my thing that you you get credit but i think if you're going to end up with a let's say our final four is 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 alabama clemson notre dame and florida or something or or ohio state i'm sorry i mean what that's legit so um i don't think there should be any asterisks or anybody complaining i don't know who who had like a really good season blow up i mean obviously or opt-outs and things like that but Everybody had the same chance unless their their conference didn't allow them to.
2: Dan, do you think there's anything from this season, whether it's some of this the conference-only scheduling um, and increasing conference games, or or um, maybe if there's only three conferences that get into the playoff? Is there anything from this season that you think will maybe impact how, how things are maybe looked at or organized going forward in college football?
1: I, we didn't get an expanded playoff this year, which I thought would have made the most sense. Although I sort of get the idea of like, why are we trying to add a, a a week of difficulty? Let's just, you know, let's just get done. And and I and I get it. Again, if we're playing Alabama's playing Notre Dame on on uh, on January one, and then following that you get Ohio State versus Clemson, or you know, if that's our you're waking up New Year's Day like this is awesome. So why why do it? But I think a couple things, you know. You're seeing, well, we couldn't play in December because of finals or it's too crowded of a schedule. I mean, again, like Rutgers and Nebraska are playing on a Friday afternoon like in December. Like that's um, that's out the window. Um, the the Rose Bowl may not happen. They may have switched the game to Jerry World, which I've long argued is not that hard to rent a stadium and play a football game. Like they've always been like, nope, 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 we must play. The Rose Bowl has to play at 5 o'clock on New Year's Day because they want the sun to set. This is a true thing. They want the sun to set at the start of the second half of the San Gabriel Mountains because that's how we do it. You literally have a football schedule held hostage by a sunset. Okay? <laughs> you can move that game up to four, and then you can play four and eight. Like it, you, your, your New Year's Day schedule works much better. You'll play the Sugar Bowl at like 9 o'clock at night. All you have have the sunset at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Like, relax. It's all right. Still a sunset. Sun's gonna set. Guarantee it. Um, so, you know, some of these things, and 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 I think you're going to see these conferences really take more control uh, of of what they can and can't do. Uh, you know, scheduling on the fly, not needing the bowl directors as much, all the different stuff. I, I do think it it sort of is a jolt to the system, and I think it will spring uh, that when this whenever it's time to renew the playoff system, I think you'll have an eight and 18 playoff. I think you'll have five automatic bids. I think you'll have three at large bids. I think we'll, we'll change that postseason. I also, these schools need money. Uh, everybody lost money this year. So, um, you know, even this SEC had a lot of fans in the stands. Notre Dame, i said some, um, but you're not getting that full house, the parking, the t-shirts, everything that goes with it. So everyone's running a budget. I think I saw Kentucky, so Kentucky's getting huge money off an SEC TV deal. They got a thirty-five million dollar. They lost thirty-five million. They're thirty-five million dollars lower this year, and that's Kentucky. They're not. They don't have a hundred thousand seat stadium. So imagine what Michigan is. Um, places like that. So I, I do think that'll be the lasting thing. I don't know whether it's more conference games. Uh, the one thing I, I noted early on was people were all excited about this conference only, but when you play conference only. You can't pad up your record. Someone's going one and eight, or zero oh and nine, or or two. You know, you look at the Big Ten; everyone's got two wins. Yeah. Now, if they have three or four non-conference victories, like normal, um, it doesn't look as bad, right? Oh, three and three and five seasons now, seven and five. Okay, and your season isn't over early. It, in the pros, it only works. You'll see. I mean, if you're having a bad season, fans don't come. But it works. You're the Cincinnati Bengals last year, you're, or you're, you know, you're the Jets right now. The hope is, well, all right, we stink right now. This team is awful. We're going to lose every game, but we we're going to get Trevor Lawrence, so it's worth it. Well, the worst team in college football does not get the best pick; they get the worst pick. <laughs> the best team gets the best pick. So, wh- if you string it together years of two win seasons, then college football. Um, is is it changes your how are you selling tickets at a school that's that's winning two games a year because you're only playing conference or you've limited the non-conference so in my opinion i don't think it'll push that obviously they see some value tv wise but i think long term uh it's a really rough go you want your worst team to be able to get to uh five or six wins and be bowl eligible and you can kind of sell your alums on hey something decent happening. You do that by going two and six in the league or two and seven in the league and, and winning four non-conference games against nobodies. Dan, you
0: know, when I was, when I look at Ohio State and I'm an AP voter, so I've been, I kept them in the whole time, even when we didn't have to vote for them. Uh, but as I look at them, I almost think that if I were the committee and evaluating them, I'd rather them have played one more game than be a conference champion and i would have rather had just a little bit larger sample size and maybe played iowa in the championship week than than northwestern and then you're you're the true champion and you get that thing I, i i'm wondering how you look at ohio state how you
1: evaluate them as a playoff team i let me tell you this and i know this again you know, we, we have to have this conference championship. They won – I mean, uh, what, what is that? I don't even know what this conference championship is. What is Notre Dame doing this weekend? They already won the conference championship. They beat the, the second-place team. Why do you get a rematch? You know, like, it's this thing. These games were, were made up for money, and now we're applying value to them. I wish Michigan had played Ohio State this weekend. Like, we have – the single biggest game in the Big Ten is Ohio State-Michigan. We have this all this tradition. It's like, oh, can't do it. We got to – because we got to have Ohio State play Northwestern. At noon in Indianapolis, like, that's not why we watch college football. That, that's at least that's not why I watch it. Oh well, we, we've we've determined that Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. Gee, really? We determined that ten years ago. Uh, nothing has changed. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what to do with Ohio State because I would say this right now: they're number four. Uh, they probably will get into the playoff. Um, although I still think if Clemson wins and Florida wins, that's a heck of that's a heck of a debate. I personally would like to see Ohio state in the playoff. I think they are one of the best four teams. They are the most, one of the four, it would be one of the most exciting entrants. If if they're squared up against any of the other three teams, it's going to be an exciting game. I'm going to be looking forward to watching it, but that doesn't mean I believe in the process. And there's a nuance there, but just because I might agree with the result, doesn't mean that the process is screwed up. They're going to play six games, four of those six games they had the week off before as a season opener and then three with canceled games is 3 bye bi-weeks when you can prepare and you know you're not playing you don't get dinged up you don't get the, the, the major injuries you don't get tired your your coaching staff is prepped up days before looking ahead at a, at, a, at an opponent it's like playing the masters and getting to play from the forward tees you're still playing golf, but these guys, you know, a good player is going to tear that apart. Come on. This is a, this is a, you keep, how do you remember a couple of years ago, they wouldn't let TCU in and the big 12 teams in. Cause they didn't have a 13 data point. Notre Dame fans have heard the 13 data point story. Yeah. I don't think it's ever really affected Notre Dame, but right. You better join a conference. You don't have a 13 data point. Ohio state won't have a seventh data point. <laughs> Coastal Carolina can go 12 and 0 and not are They don't even have a, they're not even in the discussion. And it's like, come on, like if you're going to do this uh, if you're going to do this and you're going to say Ohio State's in. Well, if Florida wins on Saturday, they will win nine SEC football games, which will tie them for the most SEC games won in a single season by anyone in the history of the SEC. Because they normally play eight and then there's a then there's a championship game. So they will have nine SEC wins, including beating Alabama. And you're going to point to the two losses. Well, we don't know what Ohio State would have done if they played a full season. So, I, you know, to me, you can't just sit there and say, well, Florida doesn't deserve it because they lost two games. Uh, you, you you, have to play the season. And, and you know, I think Dan Mullen on, on the other night made, you know, it was poorly timed, clearly sour grapes. Well, we probably shouldn't even have played this game against LSU. You get rewarded for not playing. Um, you know, not a great look, but he had a point. Like, what, what do we play in this game? You know, ACC protected their guys because the Big Ten's protecting their guys. And, you know, everyone's protecting their teams. So I don't know what to do with Ohio State. I think I think if they're in, great. But how do you let a six-win team in? And it's not like anyone else in the Big Ten looks any good. Uh, Indiana, uh, wonderful story. Like, I think everyone, like everyone's second favorite team this year is Indiana because just a great story. Seemed like a lot of fun. They've haven't beaten a single winning team, you know. I mean, how do we know? You know, they're exciting. I mean, they're exciting. I, I like them, but is this this is not this unbelievable victory, is it? I don't know. Who knows? We're just saying Indiana's good now. Um, I just don't think Ohio State's resume is is impressive at all. I think you just sort of like, well, they got a lot of pros on the team. We know they're good. Uh, we're we're like USC. They're five and and0 but because they haven't been any good lately, everyone's like, yeah, now. You know, they're 15th. USC's ranked 15th. You know, well, I mean, maybe they should at least be 7th or 8th or something like that. I don't know. This whole committee, you look at those rankings, they they make no sense. Iowa State 7th with two losses. Um, Why? Because they, you know, we don't know. They didn't beat anybody. It'd be Big 12 teams. Big 12 goes to the playoff every year and gets crushed. Uh, So it's a brutally tough job to begin with. It's a terrible year to do it, but... Uh, I don't know how you're going to evaluate Ohio State. I just think the committee says these are the four teams we want, and they just kind of reverse engineer some kind of uh, debate. But like, if I'm a, if I'm a Notre Dame, like other than losing like 222 to zero on Saturday night, I don't know how you're not in this playoff when you're going to sit there and go, "We got ten wins here," uh, and I'm going to get bumped for a six win team. Uh, Dan, I think I think there's
2: a pretty strong consensus that Notre Dame's not really interested in joining the ACC or joining any conference in the foreseeable future for the long term. But what is your perspective on if you think it would make sense for Notre Dame if it makes more sense to have a successful college football program and get into the playoff more often if it were to join a conference do you think that would make sense for Notre Dame?
1: I don't. I think Notre Dame's uniqueness and their ability to win is based on their ability to recruit all over the country. Um and to do that, you have to play all over the country. So, you know, they, I mean, I'm not telling Notre Dame fans anything. They don't know. They play a game in California every year with the Stanford USC thing. You know, they they got their, the, um, shamrock series. They can piece together games, you know, Navy will play them somewhere interesting. Um, the ACC gives them a bunch of games in a talent rich area of the, of the country that that is so much better for them than being in the big 10 like this. So they got, you know, they get five games a year, at least, and they're spending a lot of time in North Carolina and in and, and South Carolina and Georgia and Florida and things like that. So this is a perfect setup. But to me, if you join the ACC the whole time, what are you offering kids from California? You know, does Ian book come to Notre Dame? If there's, are this cold weather team in the ACC, like what, you know, what is this, wh- where are you playing? Who are you connecting with? You know, do you, do you do so well in the Northeast? What, what, it, where are you with this? And so to me, don't change a thing. Notre, Notre Dame is about to make the second playoff appearance in three years. Um, I don't think Notre Dame unless they really want to go all in and even then be very, very hard is going to be uh, Alabama or Clemson. I just, they're, they're not, if they relocate the school to Atlanta, um, then you got a shot, but that obviously that's not happening. So this is pretty much as good as you're going to get. And like, where's the problem for years and years. I was like, Oh, you have to join a conference. You're relevant. You're not any good. No, you need the good coach and you have a great coach. And you know, when you don't have a good coach, you don't do well, Michigan's not doing well. Does that mean it's broken? No. Get the right guy. It was USC. I mean, they're having a good season now, but like, you know, if Pete, Pete Carroll's at USC, you look and go, God, that, how could this school ever be bad? Right. Well, now you look and go, well, how are they ever going to get good again? Well, it, that's just the way it works. Alabama wasn't good for a while. Texas, all these things. So to me, the uniqueness of Notre Dame, ability to play around the country, aids recruiting, creates fans. Um, it makes for really exciting seasons because they play all these unique games. And to give that up uh, would, be, would, be, would be, I think, massively detrimental to the, uh, to the program.
0: Dan, as you kind of do the eye test with these teams that are up in the top five right now, you know, Notre Dame going into the Clemson game on November 7th was one out of its one in 18 in top five games. And so now they're two in 18. And to get to a national championship, they'd have to beat three in a row uh, or at least two out of three. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm wondering, do you think, I mean, obviously they would be underdogs, but do you think there's enough enough talent, enough cohesion, enough Brian Kelly that that's even a possibility?
1: I wouldn't bet on it, um, you know, but I think there's there's a couple things I really like about what I've seen this team, and you guys know this team way better than I. I was really impressed with the physicality against Clemson particularly on that defensive front. And I think that's a place where in the past, some of those matchups wasn't necessarily there. They, I thought they were really good uh, on their defensive front. Um, You know, they always can have a good line. I think the running backs are really good. And and book is at this point is just sort of that classic college winner that just figures out games and things like that. So this is a really good team. Um, You know, some of those losses were very close. Some were not. So you know, they probably – that record is probably not necessarily uh, – it's, it's indicative but not completely accurate on how you would look and say, you know, you're losing the last play at Clemson or Georgia or something. It was a good game. But there were also ones, you know, Alabama rolls you. But it, it, when you look at recruiting, um, the difference between a top five class and a and a six to ten class and an 11 to 16 class is enormous. Uh, This is how I always do it. In Rivals.com, they are very, very consistent and very stingy on who they give five-star recruits, five stars out to, uh, which I appreciate. Some of the others, you'll have like 65 guys or something. They'll basically, it's about 30 a year. Uh, Might get up to 35, sometimes 28. It's basically your first round of an NFL draft, 32 guys. Now you think about in the NFL when they're constructing teams, what a team will do to move up five spots in the first round or two spots or anything to get that absolute guy that they want. Alabama will sign five first round picks every single year and load up. And then they're their 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 high four stars are basically your second to sixth round picks. That and then they'll just fill out the rest of the roster with those guys. They don't have any undrafted free agents. They don't have it, but they're getting five, six, sometimes more, eight first-round draft picks per year. Georgia does that. Clemson can do that. Ohio, uh, Ohio State is getting there. They're pretty good. Notre Dame will get one five-star pick every year, you know, maybe three out of four years, something like that. How are you, if, if I told you that the Chicago Bears we're going to get five first-round picks in each of the next four drafts, would you want to play them in year five? No. Like, that's how, you just – the talent is different. Five-star, it's just different. Now, do some of these guys are busts? Yes. Some of them, yeah, of course. But you're going to take your chances. No one wouldn't. So I think sometimes people look the way the rankings come out. Like, hey, we got the eighth best class. It's pretty good. It's like you – it is good. It's really good. But it is number two. And there is a, a huge gap, and that's why I think you see – the exact same teams every year in this thing. So I think Kelly is an, an an excellent coach, maxes this thing out. I like this team. Um I do, you know, obviously they, 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 they just were physically really good against Clemson and all that. And I think recruiting seems to be a little bit on an uptick, and they're getting a couple of those game breakers, but you have to have so many of these guys to where, I mean, Alabama lost their top receiver and, and you wouldn't even know it. You know, Alabama's won every, Alabama right now has 10 SEC wins. Nothing's close to the 15 points. They're annihilating the rest of that conference. It's just a total different level of talent that they have than everyone else has. So I don't know who could beat them. Uh, And so that, that's why I don't, I I don't think Notre Dame ever really gets to that level anymore. Um, It's it's just, it's just because I don't know that they can put that kind of recruiting together that a few of these teams uh, can, at least not, in the current construct of how everything is.
2: Dan. last one for me, I I wanted to ask you about Ian book. Where do you sort of rank him amongst the, the, the nation's best quarterbacks? And is he a guy that you would have high on your list of, okay, if if we're putting all these guys in a pool, I'm I'm taking this guy to lead my college football team into a, into a playoff uh, uh, series.
1: I think if you could have Ian book for three years, He'd probably be, you know, your second best guy, you know, behind. I mean, I, I think if you're, if we're at the Sandlot, we're choosing up teams. No, you're going to take Trevor Lawrence and, you, you know, some of these guys. But w- clearly, and, and you guys have a much better idea than I do, but it certainly seems, especially this year, i watching on TV. Like that's a leader, right? That's a guy whose team, he's perfect for this team. Um, is he as skilled as, is, is he the most skilled guy? No, but he makes really smart plays. He's really good at deciding when to run and when to pass, kind of, it seems to me. Um, and they're winning. So if you want a, a program guy, tremendous, tremendous quarterback. Is he necessarily the most skilled? No, but, uh, you know, but um, can they win a game in the playoff? Absolutely. Can they win Saturday night? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a really good football team, I think. I just, I just don't know that they can win three of them. Uh, you know, they they let's say they have to beat Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama the next three weeks, you know, in the next whatever month it would be. You know, with, with I mean, look, whoever wins this thing, it's it, <laughs> you're going to earn it now.
2: Yeah, you know? that'd be the greatest Notre Dame team of all time if they were to beat Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State.
1: Oh, the yeah, without question. I don't care what these polls. I mean, you got to look back on how, it, you know, they would have been the national champs right now if this was like 1975 because they beat Clemson and they'd have a poll after the regular season. And they just oh yeah, you know, the, the the New York Papers would crown them champ and would and have a parade. You might not even play a bowl game and your bowl game wouldn't count. Who knows? Like it's to win this thing now, you can't sneak in. This no, this isn't a popularity contest. This isn't about perception. Perception, you need some perception to get in, but you know, now the hard work starts. And so and it's the same thing for, for Alabama. They, they might have to beat Florida. You know, Ohio State, Clemson. The next three weeks, Clemson have to beat Notre Dame. You know, everyone. Ohio State kind of gets, you know, an easy step uh, again playing Northwestern. But everyone's everyone's got to earn this thing. Um, I mean, imagine a Clemson team not making it. If you know, let's say it's another close game. I mean, this is football. It's zero sum. You win or you lose. But losing a double overtime on the road without your starting quarterback is about as as close as you can get to not losing. And you know, there that, that's, that's how it is. So someone's going to earn this thing this, this next month. It's going to be pretty fun. And
0: yeah, the last one for me is about Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. There are a lot of Notre Dame fans that wanted the coach and waiting, you know, situation to happen. And, and Jack Swarbrick just wasn't going to do that. Brian is just too far away from the end of the line here. Uh, but I'm curious about your thoughts about Clark Lee, your impressions, and what is he getting himself into at Vanderbilt?
1: Well, he knows what he's getting himself into, right? I mean, that's, that's the big thing. Um, yeah, coach and waiting. I don't know if that, I don't think that's, that almost adds an element of like, wait, you're leaving to, to Brian Kelly's recruiting. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know when Brian Kelly wants to, wants to retire or not, but, um, The other thing is you can always get him back. I mean, if he goes and runs this program pretty well, he'll leave Vanderbilt to come back to to Notre Dame. I mean, that's not going to be – you're not losing him forever. Um, And a lot of times the coach and waiting – until a guy's coach, you have no idea. And and you truly have no idea. Some of these guys who just get the job are are great. Bob Stoops just – you know, Bob Stoops just got a job – got the Oklahoma job, no experience, turned out to be great. Some do well for a while – I mean, like you look at Ryan Day, incredible, right? Boy, that's a good coach. But you know, Larry Coker was once twenty-four and zero at Miami, and you know, didn't didn't pan out. Or you know, you just, you just you get a guy who's never coached, you just have no idea. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. So um, I don't think you know. Obviously, he's, he's done a great job with that that unit and all of that. Um, but I, I, Notre Dame should be able to attract a you know a very good coach and kind of figured Brian – is, what is his sixth – this is the sixth – I did a stat. The sixth time Brian Kelly's had an undefeated regular season as a coach. He had, he had uh, three at Notre Dame now. He had two at Grand Valley and one at Cincinnati. Correct. So, and he won two t- titles, D2. You know, I tend to figure he, he knows what he's doing. He'll, he'll find somebody pretty good. I, I wouldn't worry about it. Recruiting is very good for Notre Dame right now. And, um, you know, we'll see how this week turns out. But – um, um, you know, if, if Clark does a great job at Vanderbilt and a great job might be seven wins, um, great. You know what? He's down there making different recruiting ties and, and, and showing himself and you, you hire him back.
2: All right, Dan, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to join us today and uh, enjoy the rest of the college football season. Awesome. Good seeing you guys. We'll get back to the podcast in a moment. But first, a word from Coors Light. Life today is kind of a lot. It forces us to always be on, but every now and then it's important to just stop, crack open a mountain cold Coors Light and chill. So when you choose to turn off, choose the one beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process, cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. The mountains on Coors Light cold activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. This weekend is the conference title games for just about every conference nonstop great college football all day and night. It's the perfect time to make sure your refrigerator is stocked with the mountain cold refreshment of Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. If life's pace is wearing you down, make sure you take a moment, pause, and refresh yourself with the cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options. Coors Light, made to chill. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame-Clemson, round two. First one we have, Eric, is over under five and a half touches for Chris Tyree.
0: Well, he didn't have a lot in the last Clemson game. Uh, had a couple. The thing is, I You know, I kind of try to think in my mind how this game is going to go. And I still think Notre Dame's running game is going to have to be a big part of it. And especially early in the first half. Um, And so I think Tyree is going to get a series or two. You know, they trust him. He's also a guy that can run away from people. So I'm going to go over on Tyree. I'm I'm going to say it's going to be different from the first Clemson game.
2: Yeah, I'm going over as well. I think there's more comfort in getting him involved now than last time um, when he just had two touches. Um, those are two rushes. He even didn't get a chance to return any kicks because all eight of them were touchbacks. Um, so I think he will be more involved this time around. Um, Notre Dame has used sprinkled in some two running back looks throughout the the last several games of the season. Um, and I'm curious if that's something they maybe try to Use a little bit more frequently against Clemson as to to throw a little wrinkle into the game plan, and I think um, we, we there's an opportunity to get some more speed used in Notre Dame's offense, and so maybe it's not Brayden Lindsey who we kind of have been waiting for all season. Maybe it's maybe it's finding different ways to get Chris Tyree the ball, and that's what they do try to do against Clemson. All right, next one I have for us is more rushing yards: Travis Etienne or Ian Book.
0: Well, Book won that pretty easily last time. I don't think it's going to be as easy this time. Um, In, you know, Travis has never carried the ball more than 20 times in a game this year uh, against Virginia Tech. It was an interesting game uh, that Clemson went so all in on the run, uh, and he ended up with 66 yards, which isn't a ton. He's only been over a hundred a couple times and that was early in the season, but I don't think Ian book's probably going to have as much. I think Clemson's going to try to control that a little bit more. they will be willing to give up things in the passing game to stop his runs if they can. So I'm actually going to go with Travis Etienne on this one.
2: Yeah, I, I'm going to go with book. I think, Certainly, the, the potential for sacks would would would, would hurt that that cause. Um, he rushed for sixty seven yards against Clemson last time, and he's averaging a little over forty six yards per game. Um, Travis Etienne, I, I think, I, I don't I don't see him having a huge game against Notre Dame. Certainly, that is possible. I think Notre Dame is going to do its best to to try and limit him again, um, and I think Clemson at times will be content with maybe just giving him some passes. Um, which it did against Notre Dame last time, and so so maybe that's the what what maybe Notre Dame forces Clemson into, into doing that again and, and keeps his yardage down. And I I just think that Ian Book is going to run a lot, um, not necessarily design runs, but scramble a lot because he tends to do that in, in uh, against bigger opponents and when he feels some pressure on him. And, and he's made the decision the right decision more often than not in the last several games. And so I think um, he's gonna take it into his own hands uh, several times against Clemson and be able to, to pick up some yardage, even if they're kind of trying to prevent that. Next one I have for us is over under one and a half sacks for Notre Dame's defense. Yeah, that was weird in the
0: first game because uh, Notre Dame didn't have a sack until the second overtime, and then they oh. got two. Uh, but I think pressure, I think Clark Lee has to, Take more chances with pressure in this game. And I think it's going to pay off at times. And so I am going to go over the one and a half. I think they will get uh, a couple, two or three sacks.
2: I'm going to go under on this one. Um, Clemson pass protects well. So I think that had a lot to do with Notre Dame not sacking DJ Uyongalele until the second overtime. Um, And I, I just think Trevor Lawrence will be smart with the football and be good at avoiding those sacks. So even when Notre Dame tries to pressure him, that he's going to get rid of it or, or have, have, have the right idea to avoid getting a sack and even scramble some when necessary. So I'm going to go under. Um, I think Notre Dame needs to be over to win this game. Um, and I'm just not quite sure that's going to happen. Um, as I will reveal in my score prediction in a little bit. Um, next one, uh, who will have more field goals, Jonathan door or BT Potter? Uh, well, think a harry potter
0: um uh, <laughs> i i think a big difference between um trevor lawrence and jd dj is dj dj so <laughs> so i chicken out from doing the last name and then i get the first letters <laughs> wrong okay let's try ui Lalay. anyways I think Trevor is going to be able to finish drives a little bit better. I think that's one of the differences between those two guys at the stages of the stages of their careers. So I think Jonathan door is going to have more opportunities. So I'm going to go with Jonathan door on this one.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I had sort of the same thought process that Clemson will be, will be better in the red zone with, with Trevor Lawrence than it was with D DJ Uyonga Um, so I think uh, I think Notre Dame will probably improve too. It, it had three red zone trips where it, it, two of them, they settled for field goals and one Ian Book fumbled. Um, so I think it should be better in the red zone for both offenses. Um, but I do think that Jonathan Doerr ends up with more field goals. Next one is over under 350 passing yards for Clemson.
0: Well, you know, when you look at Trevor Lawrence's stats for the year, you don't see a lot of, 350-plus games, and some of that is because he's out of the game. Right. He only had 195 yards passing against Virginia Tech, but some of that was, again, Virginia Tech went all in on playing keep-away, and, and Clemson pushed its chips in on its running game, so he only threw 22 passes. But I think the way that Notre Dame is going to construct its defense, it's going to take its chances with Clemson's passing game and, and try to get those third and longs, get Clemson in third downs. So I think Clemson, I think Lawrence and Clemson are going to have more than 350 yards passing. Not a lot more than that, but I think they will.
2: Yeah, I'm going over as well. I think Clemson, if I was Clemson, I, might, I, I would just come out throwing and try to force Notre Dame to adjust, and then maybe that creates more room for Travis Etienne. Uh, I just think there's going to be chances for Clemson to have big plays in the passing game like it did, Last time, um, so I, I I think that with Trevor Lawrence back there, I think they're going to get over 350 passing yards once again. All right, uh, time for a final score prediction. What do you think is going to happen on Saturday, Eric? Well,
0: <laughs> I was leaning toward Clemson all week, and I had a dream about Clemson Notre Dame, and I'm switching my pick to <laughs> Notre Dame based on that, um, which is so scientific. Um you know, I, I think again, I think Trevor Lawrence, the difference with Trevor Lawrence in there is that he's gonna be good on third down. And and that's where Notre Dame has made its living all year is is bad third down conversion rates for the their opponents. And and Clemson was four of fifteen in the in the initial game that went into multiple overtimes. But I just think Clark Lee is going to come up with the game plan of his life and there's the pressure is going to result in more turnover. So I'm counting on, um, Notre Dame, you know, it sounds funny in a 31 30 game saying that that's a brilliant defensive game plan, but with these two teams, it really is. So that's my prediction.
2: All right. I, 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 I just can't, I know Brian Kelly said he thinks defenses have the advantage in rematches. I'm just not sure that I can see that um, this being like a low scoring game on Saturday. Now watch it be ten to seven or something. But no, it's not. I think I think Clemson's going to win. I don't think it'll be a by a wide margin. I'm picking Clemson 45, Notre Dame 41. I've been Ooh. I've been thinking about picking a Notre Dame victory for a while, but I just couldn't come couldn't convince myself to do it with everything that Clemson has coming back for this game. Um, so I think it'll be a good one. I won't be surprised if Notre Dame wins. I think it, it, Notre Dame has, has a chance to do that. But I, I think Clemson, or I, I'm predicting Clemson, will win this weekend. And uh, maybe we'll get round three in the college football playoff. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are, are we done with USC? Yeah. Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at E. HansonNDI. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Chris Buckley at Topher15. How important is it the next defensive coordinator at Notre Dame run the same or similar scheme to Clark Lee's? One would think it's a priority based on current personnel and incoming recruits. Also, is ND in danger of losing any recruits because of Lee's departure? I think continuity is ideal. I don't think you... Have
0: to absolutely make that a deal breaker, but I think you know it would be really difficult to do the thirty-four thing right now the way that Notre Dame has recruited. If you have somebody that's a four-three coach, but maybe doesn't use the rover, uh, with Jeremiah Wusukormoa graduating and maybe more traditional linebacker roles, you know maybe you're okay with that. Or again, there's not every four-three defense is the same. There's different philosophies, uh, but you, I think, ideally continuity with as good as this team is, with as good as the defenses have been, you know, I I think that would be a, a tiebreaker or a selling point as far as defensive recruits. From what I've been able to gather, I think the one player that's a little bit miffed about. Clark Lee leaving as the kid from Tennessee Prince Colley um, does he end up back in Notre Dame's class probably but I think there's going to be some anxious moments between now and when a signature comes rolling in on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday of this week
2: yeah I in terms of the scheme I I don't think it's that for I guess I'm sure there's 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 definitely nuances to it but Clark Lee's scheme isn't that radical. It's it's the rover is a is sort of an advanced and modern way of thinking about the linebacker position. Um, But I I think there are probably some four what you would call a four three schemes that probably do similar things with their Sam linebackers that that uh, Notre Dame does with its rover. So I, I don't think that it. So I I do think that like staying within a four three rather than a three four makes more sense to me. Um, but I, I don't think um, like worrying about going from Clark Lee scheme to a four three scheme is, is going to be that big of a difference. I, um, when you're talking about Notre Dame's personnel, I think certainly Jeremiah Usukormo is a great rover, and then Prince Callie is a recruit you've recruited at rover. Um, but it's not like there's just like five guys on the roster that can only play rover, um, and that, that'll be really in a bad spot if they switch to a four three defense. I don't I don't know that. Whoever comes in will have that different of a scheme in terms of what Notre Dame is doing up front of the defensive line or in the secondary. Um, so I, I don't think that we will see much of a change, and I, I don't think that a lot of the options that Notre Dame would consider will be drastic changes from that either. Um, I, I agree with you on Prince Cali. I think that's something they have to, to work on to make sure that they keep him in this class. I, um, I think if, if, Reed was sort, if Clark Lee was like a cutthroat recruiter, which I don't think he is, um, he'd get Prince Kali to follow him to v- Vanderbilt, uh, but, but I don't expect that to happen. Um, I, Kali could certainly go somewhere else, but um, I think Mike Elston and Brian Polian and even Nick Lazinski, who's a defensive analyst for Notre Dame, they're going to be working to convince him um, that he should stay with Notre Dame and that um, he could still have a great career here, even if Clark Lee is not here. Next question is from Drew Brennan at Drew Brennan 77. What if Clark Lee does really well at Vandy and the big time programs come calling in three or four years and Brian Kelly is not ready to hang it up. Could he leave to go to Texas, Penn state, Michigan, et cetera, and thereby negating ND's opportunity to eventually hire him back?
0: Well, certainly that could happen. And I don't know that it's the end of the world if it does. I mean, right now, the known Brian Kelly is a better head coach than Clark Lee. It just (laughs) is. So I don't think that you kind of hold Brian ransom and say, Hey, look, Clark has these other offers. You need to retire. Uh, And there may be somebody else that emerges. That's a better candidate than Clark. And I'm, and I'm high on Clark, but there may be somebody else that has head coaching experience. That's one somewhere else, a big time coach that wants to coach at Notre Dame in his career and and so I think you got to keep your options open both ways so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too concerned about that whole scenario playing itself out you know if it if it's meant to be Clark Lee will end up back at Notre Dame
2: yeah I, I understand Notre Dame fans being worried about the next head coach given how many bad head coaches they had to go through to get to Brian Kelly uh But yeah, I mean, that's so so much of that is beyond your control. You cannot, you can't really worry about what happens if Clark Lee does well at Vandy and gets other job offers. I think if Clark Lee does, I mean, I guess it depends on what your definition of well at Vanderbilt is, is are we talking like competing for the SEC championship? Are we talking about well for Vanderbilt's recent standards getting to nine wins or something like that? Something two would be an improvement. (laughs) Yeah. Something similar to what James Franklin did there, but I mean, given that Clark Lee's a grad there, if if things are going really well at Vanderbilt, he's probably only leaving for a job that he really wants. Um, And I I still believe that he's best suited at a strong academic institution. I don't see Clark Lee as the head coach at Texas. Um, That just doesn't seem like a fit to me. Um, Does Michigan fit that? Maybe. Um, And and then a lot of the other, if he has has Vanderbilt humming, I mean, certainly he's not leaving Vanderbilt to go to Northwestern. Um, Maybe you'd go to Stanford. Um, and obviously Notre Dame would be an option. Um, so I I think Clark Lee would probably, if he's, if he's doing well at Vanderbilt and, and knows that he would probably like to go somewhere else at some point, he would probably check in on what's going on at Notre Dame and maybe how much longer Brian Kelly plans to stick around before making another move. Um, but I don't think that Notre Dame can sort of plan its future around what Clark Lee is going to do, um, four years from now. Next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah three. Who do you feel will be Notre Dame's next defensive coordinator and friend of the pod at Bridget go Irish chimed in and she said, I bet no one has asked you about possible defensive coordinator replacements. When I asked for one last round of questions. So Eric, who do you think will be Notre Dame's next defensive coordinator and who else do you think that Notre Dame should consider?
0: Well, I think it's, I don't think it's ever been a better job than it is right now, more attractive for somebody with a great track record to come in from the outside. But I also think there's an extremely capable and and deserving candidate that's inside. And I think that's Mike Elston. I do think that you owe it to yourself if you're Brian Kelly to, to look at people inside and outside the program to make sure you're making the right choice. But I think Mike Elston is ready for this. I think you get continuity with Mike Elston. Um, And I think he would be tremendous. Um, He did coordinate a little bit during the, actually quite a bit during the 2016 season when uh, Brian Van Gorder got fired four games into the season. Mike Elston was the secret defensive coordinator behind the scenes for the last eight games. And the stats for Notre Dame over those eight games were tremendous an incredible turnaround from what the first four were. So um, you look at the way he develops players, his coaching style, I think he'd be outstanding. If you're going to go outside, and I've seen a lot of the names, but the one I always come to myself is Marcus Freeman. I think he, first of all, he's a linebackers coach, so it's a fit in terms of position um, coming in. Uh, Secondly, I mean, you look at Cincinnati's defense's And they're one of the top defenses in the country now. Again, he's got Luke Fickle as his head coach, so he's got support there. But, you know, I had a chance to talk to Marcus this summer when I was doing the story on Mike Mickens. Really impressive guy. Almost came to Notre Dame to play linebacker here. Um, But I think he's a rising star, and I would go after him if I was going outside.
2: Yeah, I, I think those make sense. Um, I would echo your sentiments on Mike Elston. I think he um, would do a good job of that. I think there's certain things you don't really know about a position coach in terms of how he will call defenses. Certainly he's had some experience with that, as you mentioned, um, and uh, doing it full-time would be a bigger challenge. Um, but I think uh, transitioning into that role from what he where he's been at Notre Dame and, and his familiarity with what Clark Lee has done, maybe he would have some different opinions on things, but I think certainly from a continuity standpoint, there, uh, that's probably the the best option you could think of, unless you want to uh, reach out to Mike Ilko at Texas A&M and say, hey, are you really enjoying your time down there? Do you want to come back? Uh, because obviously he would, he would have run the similar system as well. But I think Marcus Freeman makes sense. I think at this point, I think we're sort of going to be thinking about names that Notre Dame considered in the past, um, whether it's John Heacock at, at uh, Iowa State or um, Jay Bateman at North Carolina. I think it's too early to know. Um, a ton of the newer names that Notre Dame might consider this time around. Um, so we will see how that plays out. Um, and I, I think uh, I think it'll be in, in, it's certainly an important decision, but I think Notre Dame is in as good of a position as it can be in terms of trying to figure out who it wants to be as its next defensive coordinator. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Pressuring the quarterback will be key this weekend. Where do you think Kyle Hamilton will be most effective? Close to the line, helping out the secondary, or playing midfield. Also, will Indy look to the transfer portal for safety next year, given lack of both numbers and experience? Uh, let me do the
0: safety thing first. I think um, they'll have their eye on the portal, but but let's kind of look at the numbers. Uh, Notre Dame is going to end up, if if the people that are expected to leave leave, which would be Sean Crawford, and then let's look at the cornerbacks, Nick McLeod. That would give you five safeties coming back and six corners coming back, and then you're going to add at least four cornerbacks, so that gets you to 10 cornerbacks, and they're signing one safety so far and Justin Walters, so that gets you to six. I think Notre Dame's plan is to recruit more corners that have safety skills and then move some of them. I think that's kind of their thought process. Um, so maybe they're not as thin on at safety as it seems because 10 cornerbacks is a lot, and I, I they're still trying to chase down Sierra Wright. from California, that would give them another cornerback. So um, I think Notre Dame will be smart about it, um, and they'll look at the transfer portal. I saw Russ Yeast. From Louisville, for example, a kid that they try to recruit out of high school is in the transfer portal. So they'll, they'll give it a look, but um, ultimately there, I think their plan, and it'll be interesting to see what Brian Kelly and Brian Paulian say Wednesday on their press conferences. But I think that's kind of their big plan is get people with cornerback skills and, and convert some of them to safeties. Yeah. Um,
2: the first part of the, do, you, do we want to break this? Do you want to answer that, and then we'll go to the first? Yeah, I'll hop question. in on the, the, that part. I think I think it's important that Notre Dame, if when it's looking to the transfer portal, not to get an Isaiah Pryor who is who was a safety that ends up being better suited as a rover. I think that's an important. I mean, uh, an important thing. I know um, Jaden uh, Woodbay um, from Florida State had mentioned having some interest in, in, in Notre Dame and, and potentially being a rover at Notre Dame. Um, but that that's not necessarily fulfilling the need that Notre Dame would have in the in the secondary at safety. So I think you have to be careful when you're when you're looking at safeties. And so I think that's part of the reason why you talk about high school cornerbacks and transitioning them to safety. I think that ends up um, potentially working out well for Notre Dame. But now, does that help Notre Dame next season? I, I don't know. I think I think we might be looking at uh, Kyle Hamilton and then either DJ Brown or Houston Griffith or a combination of those two as the starting safeties next year. Um, But like we talked about last week, it was troubling for their, for where they're at in their development that Choncroffer just kind of moved over and, and, and took their, took their spot from them. So maybe, maybe they've made more strides this year and Terry Joseph will feel better about that. But um, I think that remains to be seen. And then as for the Kyle Hamilton question, Um, I think he's going to have to do a little bit of everything. They can't make his role predictable um, or Trevor Lawrence will have a field day. Um, So I think they have to do a little bit of everything. They're going to need him in run support at times against Travis Etienne. They're going to need him to help eliminate some one-on-one coverage opportunities um, in the secondary. So I think he's going to have to be at his best to really impact the game and uh, do, do what Notre Dame needs to do to slow down this offense.
0: Yeah, I had that written down too. That um, they're going to have to move him around, and you know when you watch him rush the passer, he's pretty impressive at doing that. Now you can't can't have do that too many times because Trevor Lawrence will figure it out. Right. Uh, but but there's certain points in the game where you need to bring him, and, and certainly he needs to be back in the secondary at times. Certainly he needs to be up in the box, and run support. Uh, I would say also, I think you're going to move Jeremiah Wusukoromo around a little bit. Um, and, and there's going to be some in-game adjustments. But yeah, I, I, I definitely think pressure has to be better than it was in the first game against Clemson. And some of that may come up the middle. I, I, I still think they're much better at tackle than they are in their
2: interior. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, next question is from Ken in Pensacola, an email. What what sort of changes will we see on the offensive and defensive sides for our rematch with Clemson?
0: Um, well, I think offensively, it's going to be interesting to see if Notre Dame tries to do the North Carolina strategy and shorten the game a little bit. Um, Virginia Tech game was really interesting. It was ended up forty-five to ten. But Virginia Tech limited Clemson's plays. They they crushed them in time of possession. And they were in a one-touchdown difference game into the third quarter at 17-10. to 10. And then it got away from them with three plays of 50 yards or more. They had turnovers. One of those was a long fumble return. But I, I'm not so sure that that's not a good strategy for Notre Dame is just trying to do what they did to North Carolina's offense and just limit the plays and limit the time of possession. Um, And if they're successful with that, I mean, they're going to have to mix it up a little bit more because Clemson's defense is much better than North Carolina's defensively. uh, Again, show Trevor Lawrence, a lot of looks DJ um, is going to, wasn't maybe as quick to figure out different looks, but boy, he had a great game. Uh, but Notre Dame's going to have to win that third down. I mean, they have all season uh, on both sides of the ball. They're going to have to win third down. So uh, that's where I see the strategy being a little bit different. And who knows, Braden Lindsay may finally get, you know, it's kind of like the great pumpkin. We've been waiting for it all year. Uh, so, Maybe Braden Lindsay has a few moments in this game.
2: Yeah, I think well, it's sort of like I mentioned earlier. Maybe it's not Lindsay. Maybe it's Chris Tyree. Maybe I would say maybe more Avery Davis early on. He certainly came up big for them late in the game, but he wasn't much of a factor before that. Um, another thing that um, Clemson Notre Dame didn't do against Clemson last time was a lot of play action. Um, so I think that might be mixed in more, especially with the way Notre Dame ran the ball last time and hopes to run the ball again this time. Um, so I, I think there will be some changes there. I I think in my mind is what I wrote about today, uh, or last yesterday for in today's newspaper, um, was that, um, Notre Dame's sort of production against Clemson has sort of turned out to be pretty close to what it's been throughout the season. So it was kind of in, in statistical terms, it was sort of an average performance for Notre Dame's offense. That's sort of what Notre Dame's offense has looked like throughout the year. So I think there's room for Notre Dame to improve because it's not nece- it didn't necessarily play above its head against Clemson last time. And so I think there is there is room for improvement. Um, so that's a, an optimistic way and part of the reason I think that Notre Dame can still score some points uh, uh, again on, on Saturday. In terms of the defense, I think sort of what we mentioned before, less of a sellout against Travis Etienne, but I still think he will be a focus. And I think Notre Dame has to find a way to sort of limit the one-on-one deep chances that Clemson had. Um, against it uh, last time around. Next question is from Jeff Staley at J E Staley zero one. How likely is it for Notre Dame to explore a grad transfer quarterback and would Baylor's Charlie Brewer be a good fit?
0: Well, I think we're going to get this question on a weekly basis.
2: Just, yeah. Um, just with, just with a new quarterback. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Especially with Brendan Clark's uh, iffy knee right now. Sure. I think they need to monitor it. I don't think that they would move on somebody uh, for the spring semester. I think they'd want to get through spring. I think the last thing you want to do is bring in, especially if if Brendan Clark is healthy, a fourth quarterback and then have to split those reps four ways. Then you really never get to see what you have in Drew Pine and Brendan Clark and especially Tyler Buckner. So I think if you're going to make that move, you make it after the spring and there will still be plenty of, uh, good candidates at that point if you need to make that move.
2: Yeah, I think the only reason you make the move is if you feel pretty strongly about knowing what Drew Pine gives you and what Brennan Clark gives you um, or what you think Trevor, Tyler Buckner will give you. Um, so I think Charlie Brewer is the type of quarterback that Notre Dame is going to be evaluating. Um, there's no, to my knowledge, previous connection there between Brewer and Notre Dame, so that may be a tougher one to have, especially at the quarterback position, you'd like to have some insight into what he is like um, in terms of coming in for, for something like that. This, this, this would be newer territory for Notre Dame to do this at the quarterback position. So I think um, there's reasons to be hesitant. Um, but I think like we mentioned last week, Notre Dame's going to explore the options because if they don't, they're, they're doing themselves a disservice um, because it's part of what you have to do to be successful in college football these days.
0: In Brewer, in particular, for me, he's coming off a career worst year where he has a pass efficiency rating of 122, which is about 28 points below what Book has right now. Uh, and he throws a lot of interceptions. He throws for a lot of yards, but he throws a lot of interceptions. And I don't know that that fits into what Brian Kelly's trying to do and Tommy Reese offensively.
2: All right, next question is from Brent Leonard at Burt2834. Let's assume all things are possible. What would Notre Dame's title odds be if everyone returned for next season using the COVID rule?
0: Well, I think your first thought would be, boy, that that they have pretty good odds. But And just listen to Dan Wetzel, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State are always going to be loaded with a lot of talent. Also, if you brought everybody back, I don't know that the team chemistry would be the same. And then also what do you do with a guy? I mean, that then you can you know that Kevin Austin is your most talented receiver and Lindsay might be too. Do you tell Ben Skoranek and uh Javon McKinley, Javon McKinley, sorry guys, you're second string now. You know, I think I don't think it's the magical ride that it sounds like. So I don't know how to put a number on that. Yeah. I'll say their championship odds would be fourteen to one, but I, I think they'd have a really good team because they'd have their offensive line back. That's,
2: that's who I would want to have back if I were Brian Kelly. (laughs) Yeah. The offensive line in book, because just because of how little certainty you have about what's, what's at quarterback for Notre Dame next year. And certainly getting another season from Jeremiah, Wusukormo wouldn't be a bad thing either. Um, I, I guess I kind of looked at it as well. I'm not like you mentioned, I'm not sure that it's much better than what Notre Dame's odds would be sort of at this very moment. Um, And I did a quick search and it, you get somewhere in the seven to one range for Notre Dame to win the championship this season. Um, So I don't know that it would be significantly better than that. Obviously you have to run through the whole season still, and then get in position to be where Notre Dame's at now um, three games potentially away from winning the championship. So I think it'd be around there. And I think Notre Dame would be really good again. Um, But certainly I don't, I don't know that, bringing everyone back for next year is going to make Notre Dame better than Alabama, better than Ohio state, better than Clemson on paper. Um, They would have to go out and do exactly what they're going to have to do this year to win the national championship. Um, Next question is from Michael Kenny at Domer 747 is the 2020 team, the best team of the Brian Kelly era looking forward. Do you think the 2021 team and result will look more like 2013 or 2019, meaning except a rebuild or, expect a rebuild or a national title contender.
0: Well, when you look at them statistically in relationship, you know, the national statistical rankings, they are easily the best. They're the most balanced. They, they, they check the most boxes and the key metrics. Um, And as long as they're able to get into the playoff, they will have, you know, done what those other two teams did and that's get to the postseason. So, um, I, I expect them to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, I think they are the best team. Was there something about 2021 then? Yeah. 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 yeah what okay. do, you, do
2: you think it's more like a, a you got to sort of have to rebuild next year or they can come back and, and sort of compete for a national championship again next year?
0: I, I don't think they will be competing for a national championship, but I don't think it'll be a rebuild either. I think it'll be, kind of somewhere in between where they'll be pushing to try to get to that New Year Six level and maybe end up in Orlando in a bowl. But, I mean, they've got a really tough five-game stretch on their schedule next year where they play Wisconsin, Cincinnati, at Virginia Tech, USC, and North Carolina in a row. And North Carolina is going to be loaded next year. That's going to be the Clemson game next year is the North Carolina game.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, and and you'd think USC will still be will be good. I I, I don't. I, it's hard to know how good they are this year because they haven't played a lot of games and they're barely winning a lot of their games. But yeah. I think uh, um, USC will, will certainly always be a, a, a challenge. Um, but USC, I, go ahead. They barely beat Arizona State in
0: Arizona yet Arizona State beat Arizona 70-7. to seven, And their <laughs> games are very similar against those two teams, so you can't figure them out.
2: Yeah, and then Arizona fired their coach. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think in terms of the 2020 team, I, I'm not ready to go there yet as it being the best team. I think one more win seals it, in my opinion. I think there's certainly a chance that Notre Dame doesn't win another game, and I'll have to decide one way or the other um, after that. But I think if it beats Clemson or if it wins a playoff game, I think that seals it in my mind They're the best team. I I still give the slight edge to the 2018 team. um, And I feel like maybe I'm discounting the 2012 team more than I should and and maybe need to go back and watch some 2012 games to, to bring me back to that Um, maybe some recency bias with the 2018 team. Um, And and as far as next year, yeah, I I don't see like a a national championship being realistic for Notre Dame next year. Um, Whereas I guess, I don't know that it's necessarily what I would consider realistic this year. it's, it's more realistic this year than it would be next year. Um, and so I, I think that there's too many questions going into next season in terms of the offensive line and the quarterback position, but you can feel like, okay, Notre Dame's going to be competing for a national championship again next season. All right. And then we got two more questions from our old pal, Mike Farrell at Mike Farrell, um, who I think is getting a little bit bored with the lack of football games to cover at, at the university of Washington. Uh, so first one he asked for us is what is the most underrated work trip you've been on and why and Then he, he added that beloved college towns don't qualify.
0: Well, I think the, I mean, the most fun and interesting one I ever had wasn't in a college town, but it wouldn't be underrated. That was covering the 2012 national championship in Miami gardens, Florida. So I'll go with two and they're both basketball trips. When I was, um, the Big Ten basketball writer and one of his Notre Dame's basketball writer. The the one is to Boise, Idaho. I envisioned Boise, Idaho to be what Shreveport turned out to be for me. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my God, this this is gonna feel like a month here. <laughs> and first of all, Boise's beautiful and the people are the nicest people on earth. They're, I've never met nicer people consistently from the time you get off the plane until you leave town. They were I- incredible. But the, it, it, this was a year where, where Indiana, I was covering Indiana and Bobby Knight, got shipped out west because they got upset by Purdue in their last game. And Knight was absolutely out of his mind crazy, and, and, and they played Dale Brown very early and LSU very early in that tournament. Shaq was on that team. They were a seven seed if you can believe that it was, I could go into greater detail, but it was just an incredible, incredible trip that I'll never forget. The other one was for Notre Dame hoops. Um, we had a swing where they had a game up at Seton hall and then at Georgetown. And we had a little bit of extra time getting to Georgetown. And so I got to go to, um, spend time at Congress with one of the Indiana congressmen, got to ride in these trolleys underneath the ground to go from uh, his offices to actual Congress and watch Congress in session. And then we got to meet Sandra Day O'Connor, who was a, um, she was a Supreme Court justice and friend of John McLeod, Notre Dame's coach. And we got to go places that nobody got to go normally in the Supreme court, including they have a basketball court up on the top of their uh, top floor of the Supreme court. And she goes, this is the highest court in the land. (laughs) And, and she had a basketball in her hand and she threw it to this guy named uh, Marcus young, who was uh, like a 35% free throw shooter. And she goes, okay, here, go ahead and shoot, shoot a shot. And he's standing at the free throw line. We're like, Oh my God. (laughs) And what happens? He air balls it. (laughs) Um, We also got to go to the white house and again, go some places that the uh, public normally didn't do. I mean, that was just such an awesome experience for me. I had never experienced anything like that.
2: Yeah. I I don't know if uh, Mike was fishing for me to like recount some work trips that we've been on together. If you just wanted to receive some love in here, like go but I think a lot of I think the, the some of the fun trips that we've had are going to like big cities, or Boston, or, or um, to Miami, certainly, um, and San Francisco. Um, so in terms of underrated work trips, well, I don't know if this even counts because it's Philadelphia, which isn't really a city that you think of. Well, you can't have a good time in Philadelphia, but I, I don't think you associate it with like college football. So to me, it was I enjoyed that trip to Philadelphia. Obviously, we enjoyed our cheese steaks at DeLisandro's. Um, I had a Tour of Independence Hall with uh, L.S.R. So that that was that was probably the, what I would consider my most underrated work trip that I've been on. I, I've had some trips um, when I used to cover the opening where I get to spend some extra time in Portland, um, and that was always fun. Um, but I, again, I, that that one doesn't. I mean, that doesn't as as closely asho- associated to college football or even covering co- football in general. I mean, the opening was a recruiting camp. But um, so those are those are the ones that really stood out to me. But I, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick that. You, you wouldn't think like Notre Dame playing against temple would be something that is, you'd look forward to as like a, a college work trip. But that was a, that was a good experience. That I really enjoyed. I'll
0: say this about the Philly trip. When I bit into that sandwich, I w- almost wept. It was that good. <laughs> um, the only downside of the Philly trip was the hotel out, out for us. There was like chewing gum on the carpet in all the
2: rooms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh, very small hotel rooms. Um, we will leave the name of the chain out of it, but, uh, it was, uh, I think that was the last time we let Al pick the hotel rooms uh, because that wasn't great, but you know what it, it added, it added, it added something to the story about that trip that I don't think that you always get to experience. And then last one from Mike Varrell um, is who is the tallest man you've ever met?
0: You know, it might've been at a, at a state fair or something. I thought back to my basketball game days and I, Thought at one point I interviewed Ralph Sampson who was seven four, but I couldn't place it. So the two guys that I knew that I definitely interviewed were Dikembe Matumbo, who's seven foot two, and many times Uwe Blop, who was Indiana center, big redhead from Germany, seven foot two. I mean I'm sure there were there were probably somebody else, but that, those are the two that I can remember.
2: Yeah, my, my mind immediately went to basketball, too. And so I don't know if we're, like, cheating and talking about, like, people we've covered and interviewed rather than sort of people we've met in sort of our normal everyday life beyond work. But I think the tallest one would probably maybe be Fad Mello from Syracuse. He was seven foot. That was the first one to come to mind. But I don't I, – I, I'm sure there might – there has to be some other around the seven-foot range that I've interviewed in, from basketball from time to time because I was covering – um Notre Dame basketball is sort of a freelancer my first year out of college for the Associated Press. And so that's when I got to um, be around that. And that's what Notre Dame actually beat Syracuse that year um, because Fab Mello wasn't allowed to play um, in part. Um, So I think that I think that's the tallest person I've met.
0: We had a 6'8 guy in my fraternity and his name was Dave Snediger. if that counts.
2: (laughs) All right. There you go. Shout out to Dave. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We have surpassed our goal of 200 ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, so thanks to all of you who helped get us there. Um, Shout out to Orioles, 4L, MB400, and B. Chesson for the reviews in the last week. Uh, Tom Noy and Carter Carls will be back on Sunday with a Pot of Gold Extra Point to review Saturday's Notre Dame-Clemson game. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for your ACC championship coverage needs.